Hello and welcome to My Life on the Line, a podcast by RefCoach. I'm Jack and once again I'm joined by Benji and Ale. Our guest today is Greg Barkey. Greg was a FIFA-listed assistant referee from 1995 to 2008 and officiated in over an incredible 300 Major League Soccer matches, including four MLS Cup finals during that time. Since retiring, Greg was an AR coach for Pro and is now the Pro Manager for VAR. It's been an exciting time for VAR in the MLS since its introduction a number of years ago. It has been exciting indeed. We spent this podcast talking to Greg about how VAR developed in the MLS and the journey it's gone on, the challenges of implementing VAR and the impact that it's had on their referees with some fascinating anecdotes and where he sees VAR heading in the future. Greg talks very openly and candidly about all of this. It was a great pleasure to chat to him. We hope that our listeners are able to learn more about VAR during this podcast and that Craig's behind-the-scenes experience adds a new angle to people's understanding. I recommend a on-field review. Stop it, stop it, stop it! Greg, good afternoon. Welcome to My Life on the Line. Thank you for joining us. Oh, good. Glad to be here. You guys look comfortable. Ah, uh, yes. It's uh, well, we're back in back in lockdown again in Melbourne for the third time. So we're doing what we can, but hopefully it's only for a couple more days, and then we'll be out and about free and 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 back to football. Haven't refereed for a little while, so it's great to be talking to you, and really, really looking forward to this chat and understanding everything that goes on in, in your career, but in VAR in the States, because it's certainly one of the world leaders in what you do. There's there's no doubt about that. Absolutely. Jack and I are very excited to hear all from you. We <laughs> have been great fans of your YouTube segment about yes. VAR. And we've uh, said it on another podcast. We tell everyone that asks VAR questions, we always say, just go on the pro YouTube channel and look for this guy, Greg. <laughs> and, uh, he used to work for Telemundo, I heard, yeah. and he does this fantastic <laughs> little show where he reviews VAR and explains why things happen. Just head there. Don't ask us questions. He, he does it better. Well, I've always thought, should I answer questions on YouTube if people ask on the thing? But I, I haven't done that yet. But maybe I should do that where people put questions right underneath the video and then I can answer, answer them. I usually don't do that, but uh, I always could. <laughs> and we're kind of on lockdown here too, by the way. We're in technically our off season, but we would have been – pretty much ranking, uh, starting to ratchet things up now. Teams would be in preseason right now. They're not. It looks like we're going to be in April before we get started with actual matches. we got teams going into preseason in March, and that's when I'll start traveling and getting around. But right now is our training period. We're trying to certify a few more VARs for next year. We're trying to, you know, then we have to kind of get them used to doing things again. They've been sitting for two, three months just watching matches on TV, and all of a sudden you're going to say, okay, now we want you to go to a game, and we want you to make the, the biggest decision of the match, and quickly. <laughs> yeah, quickly. So that's our next step for us. <laughs> oh, sounds like you've got your uh, your work cut out then, getting everyone back to it. But I guess a great place to start would be the story of VAR in the MLS, because obviously where you are now is you're in a great place by the looks of it, and with your interaction with the community, and everything like that. But but where did it all start uh, for VAR in the MLS? Because I, I believe you're one of the early adopters, um, similar to us over here in Australia. Yeah, I think I think we actually competed with you guys to see who could be the first one <laughs> to get it. Because I, I know that the A-League was, was 
experimenting early and so were we. I think we beat you for the first, I guess, official review, but it was in a, it was in a second division match, you know, with, it was a, a trial basis type thing. But then I think you guys beat us for the first league by a few months to actually start with it. Yeah. Cause we started, we came out in mid season in August when we started it with ours, but actually, if you want to go back to the history of VAR, you got to go even before that, even before we actually started, even before FIFA and IFAB, you know, come out, came out with this, okay, everybody, you can experiment, you can test it. And they started coming out with the protocol and procedures. Even before that, in MLS, we had some people, they were like interns, right? They were, they were former referees. We had to, actually had them going to matches. They would sit up in the press box and they would watch a match. And then when a penalty kick happened, they would time it to see how long it took from the penalty kick actually happening, the foul, before they actually took the kick. And, you know, they were getting sometimes 45 seconds, 35 seconds, a minute, you know, obviously depending on how much arguing the players did, et cetera. And they would time it. And they also did that for goals. How long does it take after you score a goal to, to celebrate? And so we got all these numbers because when, when VAR first started, everybody was worried about, oh, don't stop the game. Don't, you're going to kill the game. You're going to be interrupting all the time. And so that was a big issue for us too. But the same point, we have to know how long the game is interrupted naturally on yeah. a penalty kick. Because otherwise, how can we compare that we're slowing the game down? So we had already built up a year before that these numbers just so we could really compare, like, how long does it take to take a penalty kick after a foul? In some leagues, like, if it's clear as a bell, everybody just gets back, gets to business, the penalty is taken, it's over with. But sometimes you know, the players will argue, they'll, you know, et cetera. Referee might go talk to the AR. All this things happen for a minute before we actually take the penalty kick. And the decision was, could we – Get information to the referee to change that decision within that natural time frame that already was stopped as part of a natural part of the game. So if it took 45 seconds on average to take a penalty kick, could we get a decision down and changed within that 45 seconds? So that's we wouldn't be added to the game. So that's what we started with. And then, you know, when we got kind of the approval from FIFA IFAP to start, uh, we had a couple big sessions in New York and Red Bull Arena where we set up the equipment so we could show people. And then we picked 50, 50 referees. Some referees were in the, you know, in the Premier League, the top, our top division, MLS. And then a big group was in our second division, but they showed promise. They were guys that we looked to see for. But we picked 50 because we didn't know how many we would need. And then we thought, well, there's going to be a few people that's going to fail. And there has been. <laughs> there's some people, I tell you what, that just are never going to be good VARs. You know, there's just, there's a, there's a personality to it that you just have to have. But we went into training with these guys. We did a lot, first theoretical stuff, just this is what it is. is I mean, we're starting from scratch. So this is the protocol, red cards, penalty kicks, goals only, make an identity, etc. So just learning the pro protocol. Then we um, rented off a field in a little town in Utah. And by little town, I mean, we use this park that was in the middle of a little houses where people mothers would walk by pushing their kids in little carriers and they would sit at the ping tables and watch us as we set up all these cameras on this recreational field. <laughs> and so there's like eight cameras, like a full setup on a rec field in the middle of a small town <laughs> where this is like their only field in their town. And it's just for rec use. And we set all these cameras up there and then we started running, bringing two teams in, they would play each other, but 
it was the worst game ever <laughs> because we would tell them, we tell the players, please pull the guy down the box, grab his shirt, push him, shove him. And a lot of these players, all their lives have been coached. Hey, the coach tells don't give up a foul in the box. I mean, what coach doesn't say that? And here we were telling him, no, please trip the guy. And if you could create serious foul play for us, that'd be fantastic, but don't hurt the guy. So that was really hard. Like, how do you create a fake serious foul play tackle without, you know, running the risk of hurting yeah, somebody? Yeah. But we were asking some of these players, and we, we had um, um, 18 and over groups coming in to do it. So some were younger, but then we, we started doing some adults too. But eventually we, we designed all these plays. Every single one of our guys had to go through several hours of this. And we're talking about play after play after play. We'd run and score a goal. They have to go back and check it. We would send the referee to the RRA. The RRAs were on a picnic table by the sides. <laughs> They'd run over to the RRA. And then, of course, the kids in the town would be looking out, trying to see what it was that they were looking at. And then they'd come back. And so we simulated for a long time. And we spent probably – a full six months in full training with these 50 guys. We only have 44 left now. Some people moved out. We've had other people, but we were, we, we were as ready as we could be to go in starting August 5th in, um, was it 2017? And were we really ready? Probably not. But at some point you got to say, Hey, we're as ready as we could be. I know that August 17th, the league was hearts were, the temperature was hot. Uh, we at Pro were, you know, nervous as heck because these were the first games. And, of course, everybody in the world knew that VIR was coming to MLS and the spotlight was on us. And we just didn't want to have a breakdown in the yeah. system. I mean, we have, you know, I mean, people understand that there is the human element, which is the VAR, yeah. but there's this huge background of technology behind it. I mean, think of it. First of all, you have a computer server that's taken in every single camera angle. So you might have a game with 20 different cameras. That means all 20 signals are coming directly into the computer that we control. And so that way the director can't say, oh, don't, don't give them camera number four. So you can't have that process where people say, wait a second, how come when I saw it live, I saw this angle and I don't see it anymore. So we are grabbing 20 camera angles and recording them all the time. And the ability, and they're all completely in sync to the frame. And then we can go back and forth on any one of them and pick which ones we want to use. So people don't realize that's a lot of cables, just literal cables, as well as computer technology that takes these and keeps them all in sync. And then there's a guy that's controlling them by hitting keyboards and another guy looking at them. And then a touch screen that if you double tap, it comes full frame. If you squeeze it, it gets smaller. If you zoom, you know, you open your fingers, it gets wider, et cetera. So all this has to go into making VR even work. And then on top of that, you have to have these walkie-talkie <laughs> systems to communicate to the referee. And it has to be encrypted because otherwise, you know, good and well, someone out there would be looking at this and to what's going on. And so then on top of that, what if that fails? What's your backup? So we had actually a walkie-talkie yes, system sitting there on the ready to grab the old, the old style, the ones you used as a kid where, you, you know, you push the button and say, um, hey, this is Greg, over. You know, and that we had those as backups. We've have, we have used them. I Did would you? Say, you know, we, we never had uh, to. Oh, not, not the, oh it's, it, we've used them a couple of times when the communication between the booth and the, and the referee completely broke down. They couldn't hear each other. And the referee, we trained them, says you cannot restart, for example, after a red card without getting a check complete. 
And he would look at the fourth official and then they would radio and just say, check complete. And they give him a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And we did have one time where the referee had to go over to the monitor and use the walkie talkie to talk to Reed to actually change the red card. Wow. But it's pretty rare. But, you know, when you've got that much technology going on, you know, somebody goes and unplugs yeah. something, you know, and then poof, you know, and, and some, some guy that's just, you know, plugging in his phone to see if he can charge up his phone. He unplugs something and all of a sudden something's not working. Yeah. So, so the panic was there, you know, early on August 7th, but fortunately for us, and actually this is, I mean, for all leagues that are thinking of starting VAR, controlling your press and the, the, what you show to people outside is really important. Luckily, our first two reviews were fantastic. They were <laughs> – one of them was for a handball that was so hidden that the broadcasters were questioning why we're doing VAR, why it's taking so long, when the goal was so obviously correct. <laughs> but there was a clear end where the guy actually punched the ball into the net. Oh, wow. But you couldn't see it unless you used it behind the goal camera. And as soon as we saw that and the referee changed it, they were going, oh, VAR is so good. <laughs> it's great. It's, this is how it works. It's work. And we're thinking, oh, thank God we got away with this. We, we did it. The first one, you know, and since then, obviously we've had somewhere it didn't go so well where, you know, it's taken too long. I mean, we've had, we had one review the next year that took over five and a half minutes. Oh, wow. Um, what for? And then, yeah, five and a half minutes. And then the referee stayed with his decision. It was for a possible handball in the buildup to a goal. So it, we technically called it a foul in the a, handball in the APP. Yeah. And it was maybe a handball, was, but it was also far away from the goal. But the VAR looked at it 18 times, the replay. He just kept on playing it. And the referee is down there going, um, can I restart the game? Can I kick off? And say, hold on, hold on, still looking, still looking, and trying to find an answer. Finally says, I recommend a review for handball in the APP. Referee goes down and says, I don't think it's handball. <laughs> and go back, kick off. So we wasted five and a half, six minutes. So it, that was what we're trying to get rid of. And so we've been really working on trying to get a good line of intervention. And line of intervention is the key to yeah. VAR. No matter if you're in Australia, if you're in Italy, if you're in Germany, wherever it is, line of intervention is the absolute key. And I would say that in Australia, they may have a different line of intervention than in MLS and yeah. Germany and Italy because you have a different culture in your soccer. You, I mean, there's something in Australia that you expect is going to be called handball. The players expect it or, or even serious foul play, especially when it gets close. To, is it just past reckless to serious foul play? Is it right in that middle point? Some leagues where you come flying in with a tackle, everybody gets up and yeah. plays on. In other leagues, someone comes to the tackle and the whole everything, the whole hell breaks out. You know, so you have your culture of your league, and you need to establish that line of intervention in a place that players and coaches will accept. And on top of that, yeah. the fan base, because if you lower it too low, and you're always going to the monitor, the referee no longer has an authority. Because every time somebody, every time somebody gets a tackle, they go, "Hey, ref, go look." Yeah. At it. Just hoping that maybe he comes back with a red card. And if you look at something long enough, you can convince yourself yeah. that it's a red card. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, and, yeah, that's been a huge problem. And it's quite interesting to think about it. It's, uh, I think you mentioned it as well in, before. You know, when you look at things over and over and over again, you know, especially when you're called to review a decision you made, that could really plant the seed of doubt in your mind. And then when you look at something that you thought was definitely maybe not a foul, then you start looking at it over and over. Obviously, you start doubting yourself and you sort of look at things in a different perspective, don't you? 
Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, when you go to that, when we first started it and referees had to go to the monitor, um, the first thing is they all said, oh, someone just told me I made a huge error. Yeah. And so they went to the monitor with this attitude, oh, crap, I've screwed up. I need to up. fix something. Versus, yeah, versus now we tell them, go with the attitude that there's someone has told you, giving you a chance to save yeah. yourself. Give him a second chance. Um, from drowning. You were just about to drown. A guy reached out and gave you a hand to yeah. pull you up. Go with that attitude to the monitor, and you'll come out with a better decision. Sometimes you're going to say, you know what? I'm still swimming. I'm, I'm good. I, I think I'll stay with it. We found that it, that our referees and, you know, us in the referee community, we kind of know what kind of referees we are. The instinctual referee, that, that guy that you have that just – you ask him, why is that a foul? He goes, because it looks like a foul, and that's what a foul is. You know, it doesn't need to explain it. Because they know a penalty kick because it just feels like yeah. a penalty kick and they blow it and they're and they're and they're very sure about themselves and and they're, they're right most of the time they're almost right all the time but and they're also super confident so they blow the whistle go boop penalty kick everybody accepts it because it's a very confident referee he knows what he's doing and it felt like a penalty kick well those guys suffered the most with VAR mm. because as soon as you put doubt into their decision making they started to struggle. And so how about this when, you know, first started, we had one of our better referees who started losing a bit of confidence. So one time he goes, it's the yellow card unless you tell me differently, which is outside of protocol. We, we can't do that. But he had lost confidence in giving a card or not giving a card. And that's because he was so worried that if he showed like a yellow card, someone's going to come over, to la- over his earpiece and say, hey, I'm recommending you for a red card. He was so afraid of hearing those words versus the, the younger referees who didn't have the confidence to, because they hadn't had so much experience. They saw that the guy coming on the, on their headphones say, Hey, I recommend you for a red card. They said, okay, here's someone trying to help me. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go to the monitor and I will change my decision. And they usually did the ones that were more experienced and, and, I guess maybe we can call them, can we call them the older referees <laughs> in some ways because they came up through a tradition yeah. of you make the call, you stand by it. You call a penalty kick, you stand by it. I mean, ask yourselves, how many times have you ever changed a penalty kick you gave because the AR said, hey, it's wrong? And <laughs> it almost never happened. But now you give a penalty kick and you have a guy who is an assistant referee is telling you, okay, here, change it. And so now you go back and you, and you change it. So that group of referees suffered the most. We have several of them that adapted really well. They figured it out after the first six, seven months. It takes several games to get kind of used to it. Um, they go, oh, you know what? This person that's stuck in my ear is actually trying to help me. He's not trying to point out, hey, look, you made a mistake. And sometimes, sometimes I mean, this probably happens everywhere. They were worried, like, is the guy out there telling you made a mistake because he wants the next game? Oh, no, <laughs> don't get on that rabbit hole. Oh, all, all referees know that stuff, don't they? You know, where, you know, there's competition for games, etc. But what happened is once we had some success with it, the referees started seeing VAR in a totally different perspective. And they started seeing it as a, this is a helpful tool, like having an assistant referee who gives you good offside decisions, who gives you good out-of-touch decision, and also helps you when you need help on a foul in their area of control. You know, they saw that, okay, this is actually a good tool that I have. And when that happened, we at MLS started turning um, VAR into a much more positive thing. And our data is showing that over the years, that we're getting uh, better, like more actually, we call it um, referee acceptance rate, is what we call it, is how often the referee accepts the recommendation of the VAR. 
And when we first started, we were in the low 70%. In other words, the VAR would come on and say, hey, I recommend a review for a penalty kick. And the guy would go over there and say, ah, nope, to me, it's not a penalty kick. I'm staying with my decision. So that was about 30% of the time that happened. That's too much. We should be interrupting that many times and not getting the decision changed. Because really, if clear error was made and the VAR sees it, it should be changed. I mean, in the perfect world, you'd have 100% acceptance mm. where the VARs were so good and the referees were so willing to change the decision that they would change it and it would be correct every time. That's never going to happen. But um, it did improve. We're up to 85% now in the referee going to the monitor and accepting the decision. Um, the other 15%, a lot of it is almost all in the penalty kick area because penalty kicks is probably the most difficult decision for the VARs. Yeah. And you know, most people know why, because <laughs> all it takes is a careless little foul and you could have a penalty kick. Versus a red card, you need to kind of get the guy. Yeah. You know, it's it's not so easily identified. And it can happen. I mean, the penalty kick happens in one certain area. And I believe in Australia, as well as the rest of the world, players behave differently when they enter the 18-yard box. Well, 16-meter mm -hmm. box, right? They, all of a sudden, they can't stand up. Where they can stand up anywhere <laughs> in the center circle. But they, the, I mean, gravity must change <laughs> when you get into the 16-meter mark. I, mean, I don't know if it happens in Australia. You, you're on the other side of the world, so maybe it doesn't change gravity over there. But here in MLS, you know, players tend to get bumped and fall. So it makes it much more difficult. And so the main difference is the referee has a feel for yeah. the game. Yeah. You're there. You're on the field. And we're finding that that's more and more important. And we have our VARs are actually in the stadium. We don't have a centralized location. I was going to ask about this because yeah. we – used to have VAR at stadium and now for 90% of the games, they're done out of a, a bunker style in, in Sydney. There's still a few grounds where they can't do that, but 90% of games are done in a, in a hub or a bunker, whatever they call it. Is it a bunker because you're afraid people might try to invade it or something? <laughs> <laughs> I think Rather so. Around bunkers like that in Iraq, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, we stole it off. Um, I think we share it or, or we're in the next door or something to the, the rugby and so yeah. the the culture here in rugby, because rugby had video ref first, was they'd go to the bunker. So I think we've just yeah. adopted their terminology. Um, well, I think we're headed in that direction. We're not there yet. We, I mean, right now, next season, April 17, we have 27 teams in our top league. 27 teams. I think quite, quite surely that we are the top league in the world for number of teams in the first division. So far, our second division hasn't grown enough yet that we're at a point where we'll get the relegation or something like that. That's a topic for a different day. Maybe that's for the owners and them to decide. But right now we're at 27 teams. In two years, we'll have 30 teams. Yeah, yeah then, you split oh, conference though, yeah? So you're East and yeah, West. Yeah. Um, they will play each other at a conference. However, you will play um, the teams and your team twice, you know, home and away. And yeah. so they work it out. I mean, it seems very complicated. But, <laughs> we, I mean, we right now set, have 27 different VORs in different stadiums. Yeah. And yeah. they range from a beautiful press room, big, comfortable, hot food right outside, to a broom closet that's got – only three or four people can fit in. Yeah. So that's how they range in comfort. And they, they all work the same. But as the comfort, some have comfy chairs, other ones don't. We're moving that way because we're getting so big and just the logistics of trying to get everybody everywhere is, is difficult. Um, I think, I mean, when it, I look at it, probably three, four years down the road, we'll be at a centralized location somewhere. 
maybe even two because yeah. of our time time change. I mean, you guys understand a little bit. If, if you're on in New York, for example, we did some test runs and we did a game in New York that was being played in L.A. And we actually had the VOR in New York while the game was being played there to test it. We had, it was a backup one. We had two at the same time. But I was there at the New York one to make sure it worked. And I didn't walk out of the office till 1.30 in the morning. Yeah, it's the same no, thing. So we have our VAR boxes in Sydney and we have games in Perth, yeah. which are, is almost as big a time difference as LA to New York. Yeah, it's four hours difference. Yeah, so. Three or four, yeah. Yeah, yeah we have three-hour difference. And, and then who the kickoff at 9 p.m. or something, it's crazy. Yeah. But um, with with um, – in, in your in, with your VORs, do you have your VRs do more than one game in a day? Uh, they can't do two VAR, but they could go VAR to a VAR. Okay, see, well, that's one of the issues too. I mean, I would not want to see one of my VARs do two games back to back. People think, oh, you're just sitting there watching TV. Well, you're not just watching TV; you're actually watching the uh, a game with 16 angles, and you're constantly looking back and forth at angles, replaying things a little bit real quickly, which nobody sees, but it's a strain on the eyes and, and actually your met, your mental strength. I mean, to keep focus for that long time, because yeah. look at, when you think of it, we only get involved one time every three games. Mm. So you could be a VAR and go, we've had, we had actually last year, we had one of our VARs go 10 games without a single review that's good yeah. we want that yeah, no it's fantastic it means the referees were doing well or else he was sleeping one or two <laughs> right but you know so you can literally sit there and watch a two-hour game every angle and then not get involved yeah and if you did that back to back you would you would start losing focus and then one play turns into another and oh it's just you know check complete check complete check yeah. complete you know, because so, that doesn't mean because that doesn't mean that you're still not reviewing stuff just because oh, you're you don't, checking you don't make an intervention. You still are actively looking and working with your team to say, well, okay, yeah, we're still checking goals, penalties, cards, and everything is still being checked. Yeah, we average about six to seven checks per match, so you are checking six or seven things every game. You know, and then who knows? A hard tackle comes in, you have to take a look and make a decision. And that decision can weigh on you if you think it might be wrong or you're, it's in that gray zone. You're waiting for the bosses to call you say, hey, why didn't you recommend the review? Yeah. That happens everywhere. I mean, even when you guys in Australia referee a game and you have a tough decision, you can't wait to get to a monitor to see it, to see if you were right so you can sleep well that night. Hey, listeners. Don't forget that the best way to be involved with the Ref Coach community is in the Ref Coach Facebook group. Search Ref Coach on Facebook for our group. How referees, the, the older group, sort of took a little bit longer to accept VAR. And I found it really interesting because obviously there was friction from the public to accept VAR, the time that it takes to make reviews and all this sort of stuff. But obviously there was also friction from referees because, and I can totally understand it because if you've been used to refereeing a certain way for 20 years and then all of a sudden someone challenging you in the middle of the match, there could definitely be something hard to get used to. So obviously that's something that you can overcome with time, with practicing and changing the mindset. Did you have any other challenges in implementing VARs, whether, whether it was with referees or with the media or um, you know with the league? Well, yeah, because some coaches were obviously older coaches too. They didn't, they didn't really want it. 
And the one of the first issues we had is, hey, you reviewed it in that game. How come you didn't review it in this game or my game? And that was, like I talked about, line of intervention. And to be consistent over, in our case, 13 separate matches on a weekend is difficult, especially when it comes to penalty and red cards. So that's why, and one reason we started Inside Video Review, the thing to explain to coaches and fans what we were doing and why sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. And that in the end, though, we want to make sure everybody understands the referee was making the final decision. And just like before, when you would have the issue, uh, the referee called a penalty kick in that game, but he didn't. the other referee didn't call a penalty kick in the other game. That's always happened. It happens in every league in the world because all referees are different. Slight, sometimes you're slightly out of position or you get blocked at that last moment. It's a handball. Clear the bell to everybody else. But just before it happened, a guy ran in front of you. And so that was a challenge we had, trying to get all the coaches, GMs, even players kind of like, look it. We're, we're trying to consolidate these all into one group, but stop looking at every decision, say, how come yes, no, but look at the core job of everything. We have taken off, for example, um, in a year, we taken 90 clear errors off the field and fixed them. Celebrate those 90 that we fixed. Stop looking at the other 15, 20 that maybe we missed, or maybe they're in the gray zone that you would have wanted for your team, but not for the other team. We get that all the time. <laughs> no, review doesn't work. It doesn't work. They didn't get involved in my game. Next game, oh, review, it's great. It's fantastic. It, you know, so it's really we get that. But good coaches are going to do that. You know, yes, that, they're defending their team, accept that. And But we try to say, look, <laughs> it, we keep pointing them. If we can take more and more errors off the field, even if we miss some, even if we miss some, and we do, we are making the game better and fairer. I think for pro, one of our proudest statistics that we have is our, I don't know what you want to call it, our goal accuracy rate, if you want to call it, mm-hmm. that a goal scored in MLS is fair. It's just, is 99.7 something. It's like in the whole year, we had this last year, 20, um, 2020, we had in the whole year, two goals that shouldn't have been allowed to stand. Out of, I can't even remember now. But it ended well, up being 2017 like would have been a lot yeah. of games. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it's it's such a, a minute month. And goals are the most important part of soccer. I mean, when you look at it, I mean, football is decides the, the, the goals decide the game or not. Not necessarily the penalty kick. The penalty kick, they might miss still. You know, even the yeah. red card, a team with 10 players might play better. But I tell you what, the goal, the goal has to be just. The goal is fair. People accept the game. They'll accept even other mistakes like possible penalty kick, possible red card. But if they see a goal that's been done wrong or there's like a handball or it didn't cross the line and it was given or not given or a very clear offside that was missed, whatever, they don't like that. They really don't accept goals being scored unjustly. And so we really try to make sure that our goals are scored fairly. And so that's one of our most important numbers. And people need to accept. And I don't know where they got the idea. VAR is not going to be 100%. We're not going to get it. It's the same as going – professional with referees just because you're making referees professional doesn't mean yeah. we're going to have 100% accuracy all of a sudden we're still the same normal people right no but the thing is one of the things that helps you do is that once you're professional you can concentrate on the match you can, that's true and i tell you i mean i don't know if it really matters for this podcast but i'll tell you one thing that i've noticed no matter what referee you do ar var fourth official if you leave your house not in order 
you're not going to have a good game. Yeah, yeah. agree. But not in order. If your wife is upset at you, if your kids, something's going on with your kids, maybe they're doing badly in school or they got a broken arm, who knows? And, you know, if you don't take care of that first before you leave your house, I don't care what position yeah. referee you is, you're not going to perform yeah. well. Yeah, you might get away with one game. You might get away with the game that maybe it's easy. It's just everything worked out. But it's going to come to your point yeah. where you're going to lose your cool in the match. Yeah. Because you're still – you're not angry at the player. You're angry at the at your boss <laughs> maybe when you were, you know, not professional or your wife. You know, you left the house and, you know, that you weren't on the best of terms. You know, I tell you what, you're better off staying home. Stay home, fix that, and then come out. I, I've, I mean, I've seen guys that I know their problems at home. Yeah. Do just perform so poorly on the field that they actually end up kind of ruining their referee careers because – they become so inconsistent, but you know that really it is because you know, the other side of the story that the players and coaches and what don't know that he's struggling at home. His, maybe his kid is dealing with some addiction or something and he's trying to get that fixed and he just can't. So, and, and so he takes it to the field. Yeah, we always say, even on, the, on this podcast is like the, the goal is to show that we your referees, officials in general, in general, we humans. So that's a big yeah. part of, officials that people don't see is that we actually do have lives outside football and the same as a player you know you may have Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi go play a game but something happened at home they may not be focusing on that game and so they're going to go and miss that penalty that they usually would score same as referees if you're not focused if you got something in your life that it's not going the right way that's going to affect your performance because we are humans first referees second even when you're on the pitch, you're still a human and you're the person you are every day in your life. So that's that's very, very true, Greg. One question I had as you were talking is, because we talked about challenges and I, I thought, you know, in the US, you had other other sports, other codes like NFL, NBA, and they all have been using video refereeing for a long time, especially the NFL. They have challenges as well. Uh, I know in the NBA, especially in the last two minutes of the game, they go and do reviews um, to, you know, at the screen quite often because they consider it the hotspot of the game. So did you guys, when you implemented VAR, did you use any of the other leagues in your country to maybe take tips and their experience? Or maybe, or did you just focus on your code? No, Ali, good, good question because we did, uh, we brought in the NFL rules interpreter, I think that's what they call him, who instituted VAR for the first time mm. in NFL. And I don't know if you know that much about NFL, but the first time they put video review and it failed miserably. Nah, didn't, um, it didn't know. It didn't work right. It was taken right. And they actually got rid of it. They actually got rid of it. And then, you know, pressure, you know, big game, big money, et cetera. They brought it back. And we brought this guy in and he said what happened, and I'm afraid of this happening in, in VAR for, for soccer, is there was a replay creep, he called it, replay creep. Like at first, like right now for soccer, we all look at red cards, penalty kicks, and goals, yeah. right? Mistaken idea too. But that's all we look at. But have you been hearing people say, oh, what about that second yeah. yellow card? What about the, the corner kick or goal kick? It happened right before a goal. So that's what replay creep is. And what he said it happened is they put this thing in and it was only supposed to check on scoring in the NFL. It was only supposed to check on scoring things. And what happened is, well, wait a second. Why don't we look at where the ball went out of bounds? Why don't we look at the possible holding? Why don't we look at it? And so it got to be so big that 
everything was being checked and the game was just dying. It was just, I mean, talk about interrupting a game. I don't know if you guys watch NFL. Oh, yeah. Wait, but that, that's naturally a game that is yeah. stop, start, play 10 seconds, yeah, stop. You expect it to start though <laughs> and, and say 35 seconds. And, and when they go and they review everything. And to me, I, I find it difficult to watch NFL at the end of a match because they're checking everything all the time and stopping the game, talking about interruptions. Mm. I mean, so I hope we never get to be like them, but we did bring it in because he gave us great advice on, for example, personalities of the VAR personalities of the referees, accepting the decision, you know, and, and being told you're wrong during a live game with lots of people looking at you. And here you're going to go change the decision and admit to everybody, hey, by the way, I decided I made a mistake. I'm going to change my decision. Mm-hmm. You know, so, he went through all of that and also some of the failings that they had and, and, and whatnot. We also, um, uh, the NBA has a centralized location. Yeah. Uh, we went to see how they run things. And like you said, they only really review like the t- last two minutes. So they're not always, you know, in the entire game, the whole time focused. Um, NFL's got their little, throw their little red flags on to check. Yeah. And, you know, so of course there's people in, in soccer say, how come we can't have them challenged? We have owners here in MLS say, let's challenge things. Well, we know good and well, anybody falls down in the box in the last two minutes of a game, the coach is going to throw the red flag out there and say, go look at it again. Maybe I'll get lucky. And so that'll be two minutes. Now, we, we, our time frame for us here in MLS, two minutes is about how long it takes to, to do a review. Can you from. imagine Klopp or someone like that throwing a red flag in the middle of Liverpool-Chelsea going like, flop! <laughs> and, and, you know, by, by Klopp doing it, he'd probably throw it at a player and say, what, did I, did I hit him? Yeah. I did it accidental. <laughs> You know, and then, then, then we have to go back to the law where if you throw something, if a substitute throws something onto the field and, and interrupts the game, he's stepped <laughs> off. And if you don't know who it is, you got to turn off the head coach. So what if the assistant coach throws on the red flag and it turns his back and we said, okay, Klopp, you're on, you know? So, uh, and, yeah, we did talk to them guys and, and, and they gave us a lot of good advice on personalities, uh, communication, like how you should communicate um, technology wise, how it needs to work and, and all that sort of thing. So it was very helpful. Um, in the end, though, you know, when we did it, we were flying by the seat of our pants. Some we we watched all the our leagues. We watched you guys, you know, and we without being a minute, we watched your mistakes. And then when we when you guys made a mistake in VAR, we grabbed it and we would put out that week. Okay, from now on, if this happens, we're doing this. I remember there was a mistake in Germany um, that happened where there was a. Uh, a penalty right at halftime and the players that all got yeah. on had to bring it back in. So that next day we put out the thing that you cannot leave the field until you get a clear mm. haul from the VOR. So we have that sort of before. Yeah, the- we have the exact same thing. End of half, end of game. Am I clear to finish right. the game? And what we're trying to do is 30 seconds before the game to say, Hey, look at, we- there's no ongoing checks. And if something happens in the penalty area, we told the referee, you can blow the whistle to end the game but not in the game. In other words, you blow the whistle, beep, hold on, I'm just waiting for the VAR to tell me we're done the game and then end the game because we didn't want players leaving and bring it back. Um, so, I mean, we took all that and used it. So, and I, I, I'm pretty sure that other people use mistakes they saw in our games and fixed their systems too because <laughs> um, we certainly don't do perfect. But we said we have to make sure we stay ahead of the game on this because we don't want to have to go through the same thing that other people did. And so that's why I think yeah, we, in many ways absolutely. that helped. I mean, thank you, Australia. Thank you for, for helping us. <laughs> but also we talked. I mean, <laughs> well, I talked to your VAR guy down there during the, when it first started. You know, he would say, well, what are you guys doing? What's your line of intervention for this? And we was, you know, we'd go back and forth. So what do we think of the line of intervention to try to come up, even with an international standard, 
of what is yeah, yeah. or isn't like encroachment. That was one of yeah. like when we saw the women's World Cup and encroachment of penalty yeah. kick. Everybody in the VIR world was going, "Oh boy, what are we going to do now?" <laughs> because you know you can't just say we're just going to do it our way because. FIFA and I've had to have an international standard that we have to proceed. So we went talking to our team and said, look, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to get involved. So at least the teams and owners knew exactly what we we're going to be in. And then of course, now you see the law yeah. changes. They've basically, you know, they have to save it pretty much before we're going to look at the goalkeeper, yeah. Yeah. which I tell you what yeah. makes life in the VOR so much nicer, so much easier. <laughs> you can just look at it right away and, and no, yes or no. There's encroachment. If you don't save it, it's check complete. You're moving on. Happy yeah, days. Yeah. yeah. I was, uh, I wanted to ask Greg, I remember it was probably a year. It was before COVID that there was talk about this conversation. And in the NFL, you have uh, the referees or umpires, whatever they're called, the officials, they push the button and they talk to the crowd to explain what's happened. And there was a bit of talk about, mm you know, can we publish referee communications, whether that be live in stadium, whether that be live, uh, you know, to the broadcaster. Have, have the, I know IFAB still don't allow it, but uh, I know, remember in Australia, we were pushing it a bit. And I think in conjunction with the MLS. Yeah. What sort of space, what's happening in that yeah, space? Yeah, that, that space, there was a, a look to be a little bit like NFL in regard to like, you know, he put a button and said, I'm holding on number five, you know, 15 yard penalty, whatever they would, would say. This is after decision. It's not the live VOR conversation. This is just the decision to broadcast the decision. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I know that we had some talks with IFAB about how to do it and we tested it. I don't know if you, how, how far Australia got. We tested it at several youth tournaments where we were training VARs and there was several issues that came up right away. I don't know, in Australia, um, in the United States, we're a melting pot. Some of our referees' English is better than others. Mm. So there's that issue, okay? Also, you have a non-professional speaker being told to speak over a microphone. And so there's all these other issues that were kind of along. And also, the referees, you know, having to, re to wear another piece of equipment. They, that means they had to put another mic on them to mic out. So we worked with our, our providers to find if we could do the same mic that they already have and just turn a switch or something. So we tested it at several tournaments. We actually did one quite successful where there was a review for a penalty kick and he canceled it. He came out. Um, Becky said, after further review, there was no handball offense. Restart is a drop ball. And he came out and said it perfectly. Broadcast, there was only like, 50 to 100 people in the stands because it was a youth tournament type match. Um, worked really well. However, the logistics of it was actually quite difficult because, you first of all, you had to have an audio person in the stadium ready to open the mic so it could be broadcast, you know, so that the people could hear it. Mm. Um, it wasn't just going to broadcast on TV. It was going to the in-stadium crowd too because that was some of the purpose of it so that the in-stadium crowd – could understand what's happening. The broadcast crowd, not so much because you have an announcer that can explain what happened, you know? So it was a little bit yeah. more like that. So you had those two things going on. It had to be looped through technology-wise. So it actually was quite complicated. And as VAR grew and people understood it better, there seemed to be a, a just less need for it. Because now, I mean, most of you, if, unless you get the really complicated reviews, 
most everybody understands the decision when they see it. The referee goes up there, he makes a TV signal, he waves his arm in like a no symbol, and so we know, okay, the penalty gets canceled. You know, we don't need to know why. And that's the issue is do we, do we always have to say the reason why? And people might not, if, we, if we're referees talking, it'll be like one of those referee meetings where we use all these words that we use. Oh, there was a, it was a reckless, <laughs> cha- it was not a reckless challenge. It was only, you know. It's not Doxa. And everyone goes, what's Doxa? So people go, what does that mean? Yeah. And then the, then people argue, oh, it was denial of a goal, not denial of a goal scoring opportunity, you know, or all these sort of things. So the push for it has really gone gone down quite a bit and so we haven't experimented anymore there's always a push for more technology especially right now with covid because there aren't fans in there so it gives more opportunity and i know we did this thing in orlando where we had a special tournament to restart the season there was actually mics in the field in the ground in the dirt and we told the referees where they were pointed out so you have to be careful in these areas and the players knew but what happened is it became almost so manufactured. The players were worried to say anything, and, and it became kind of stale in many ways because of that, because everybody thought, I'm, I have to be – I'm always being on the spotlight. i got to be careful. So we, we tested a few other things there, but it was a very, very, very controlled environment that we had there. I mean, we had a centralized location. We were only using like 10 VARs, and there was only like 10 referees, so we could train them specifically for this. I would not suggest any league do this without massive training. We pulled it off on a couple of test runs where we were able to broadcast um, some live conversation at the, at, at, the, at the monitor only and only at the monitor. But we also had the on-off switch in our hands. It, but the thing is, we, before we go, we're not going anywhere farther with that right now. We have to change everything to – permissions wise, etc. So that's got to be changed before we go on with that. So that's really at, at this point, not going anywhere. Um, eventually it might, who knows? I think we need a bigger push. I think we need to push, you know, from other leagues too that want to do it so that we can come up with some standards and what's the right procedure, you know, who turns on and off the mic. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> you know, do, do we, you, do you hire someone just to do that or not? So it, it can be, it can be, and it's very dangerous because, you know, you guys are both referees. You know how you casually talk during a match back and forth, you know, and sometimes you're joking a little bit, or sometimes you're saying, how can this player do that? You know, it's ridiculous, you know, get off my back. And sometimes (laughs) we don't always use flowery language. You know, it's, would you want your grandmother to be listening (laughs) into the referee mics? (laughs) <laughs> Most always. Not always. I was having this discussion with Tegan's mom to so my girlfriend's mom about that exact thing. She was asking, what do you guys say on the field? And I said, oh, it's actually all recorded for VAR. I said, it's not publicized, but yeah, some of this stuff is definitely uh, not stuff that, <laughs> that will be broadcasted yeah. because it's you're just thinking in the moment. You're under pressure. You're not choosing what words you use. You're just being effective. Yeah. Yes. And I'm sure in Australia, you've got some AR referees that are quite funny. Can can put out a funny remark there. But yeah. Sometimes you should be smiling, but you're smiling because your body just made a good <laughs> funny remark about a player or something. So, oh yeah, no, that always, always yeah, happens. Always happens. Do you hear about a new podcast, The Coaching Corner? The Coaching Corner is a coaching podcast for referees. In each episode, Jack and I, Ali, discuss educational topics such as handball, your first game, pre-match instructions, and more. Subscribe to the Ref Coach Podcast and never miss an episode. 
So this kind of leads into obviously what you do with your YouTube uh, uh, okay. show, which uh, it's what well, you know. What well, we mentioned at the beginning, which, which we, we love. love. We love, love thank you. Greg Barkey. Anyone YouTube. that is listening to this podcast, go on YouTube on the Pro Channel and look for. Uh, the VAR weekly reviews with Greg Barkey. If you want to learn something about VAR, that's the place to be. That's the place to go. And if you want to learn Spanish, you can look at the same one in Spanish. So I do it in English and in Spanish, by the way. I don't know if you guys do that. So if you want to learn oh, Spanish. that's impressive. One's called Inside the Review, and in Spanish it's called Vara al Fondo. Vara and I do them both in Spanish, yeah. Vara al so, Fondo con el Greg Barkey. See <laughs> si, Gregorio, yeah. Gregorio. So I, roll my, I roll my R's really good for the VIR and fondo and barra fondo, you know. So I really got to get the good accent out there. So no, I, I started that because it, it was kind of weird how it started because we were talking in MLS League about how we can make it more transparent for people and our fans, etc. Because everybody's asking why? Why did they make that decision? It, we don't understand why. And so referee talks. It, clearly, it wasn't a handball, but why wasn't it a handball? You know, that's the biggest question fans will ask. And so they actually, I went into New York and they have a, in the MLS office, they actually have a little studio there where they, they record a lot of their product they put out there. And I did an interview with a guy where he asked me about the previous week's um, events. And we went to talk to him and they made it all fancy and rolling graphics and whatnot. And they, <laughs> they presented it to the league and they were like, well, yeah, okay. And I said, well, the problem with this is I'm not going to be going into MLS. I don't live in New York City. I'm not going to go into New York City every Thursday to record this at a certain time of the day because, first of all, the, going to New York is a pain. But <laughs> on top of that, I, I travel to games. And even like my boss, Howard Webb, he's traveling. We're always at games or stadiums, so they can't do this like this. And so I said – you know, people don't know, but I have a background in broadcasting. I worked for Telemundo TV for 20 years. And I didn't work in front of the cameras, don't worry, because <laughs> that would have been bad. But I worked behind the cameras as a post-production editor. I made news graphics, uh, you know, promos, commercials, etc. And so I actually had to quit that job to go to the World Cup. That's why I actually called them up and said, hey, thank you very much. I'm leaving because I'm going to the World Cup. So it was a fun call to make. <laughs> <laughs> you think about it. Um, so, I, so I quit that. When I came back, I said, you know, I got into refereeing. I got hired by pro. And I thought, you know, I could maybe do this on my own. So I did without anybody's permission. No one asked me to do it. I um, set up a green screen in my, in my office. I bought a mic. I got a few lights and stood in front of it and did the first one. And I think it's on YouTube, but you can probably see it. It's number one. And I went over the previous week's VAR thing and put in what I thought was the most important part was the audio of the referees, which I thought everybody wants to hear the audio of the referees. They don't want to see me. And I realized after I did it more and more often, you'll see less of me because I'll just go, forget <laughs> that. I mean, just people want to see either the VOR or they want to see the action and hear the thing. So I, I try to put as much as possible. And I will admit every now and then I do cut out a swear word, just so you know, it's <laughs> not completely wide open, you know? So, so I started doing that and then I said, look at, I sent it into Howard Webb. He was actually in a meeting with MLS officers. Hey, Howard, look at this. See what you guys think. And they got back to me and in a half hour says, can you do that every week? I said, yeah, I probably could. I mean, get a few more pieces of equipment, et cetera. Give me a and pay so rise. They went <laughs> yeah. And it, it, they put it on MLS and had very, very good response. Um, even if they didn't agree with the decision of the VOR. So in other words, they might not like the penalty kick or decision, 
but they like hearing the referee. And I thought that was fantastic to hear referee in the conversation back and forth. And also I was able to explain, for example, why it wasn't a handball, like why they changed the penalty kick that was given to not given because maybe the hand was next to the body. Um, it bounced off the leg to his arm or, you know, you know, the things that referees know why a handball is a handball. I mean, people that aren't referees are going, oh, it's either a handball or not a handball, but we have all these special little rules, all these considerations that we use to hopefully come up with a good decision. But so I started doing them and kind of funny thing is it's really low tech. I hope it looks high tech. It does. <laughs> it certainly does. Um, um, I once challenged one of our referees to let me know if he knew that I was actually recording in my hotel room or not. <laughs> because what I did is I, I got a, a green screen that I can carry with me, some lights, and I have a little kit. And I'm traveling all the time, so on maybe a Thursday night, um, I will set up my hotel room as a mini studio. And I don't have a tripod because it's hard to take a tripod on a plane. I mean, you can take a you know three-foot tripod <laughs> onto a plane. They'll think it's something. They'll take it away from you. So what I do is I have a just a, a little small little, you know, six-inch tripod to put my camera on. And I everything in the hotel room and make a tripod. So I might have the couch with the ice bucket on it on top of that plus the chair and then I balance my camera on top of it to make a tripod <laughs> and I pin I, I pin the green screen to the wall and that's sometimes how I do it because it had we try to get it out on Friday or Saturdays and the reason we wait till that lane people how come you don't come out on Monday with it well we kind of have an agreement with our assessors we don't want to influence them and the yeah. assessors have to have their um their rec- their scores in put it that way um in by like wednesday they have to in by so we really can't release before wednesday because then you know it looks like we're influencing because they know what pro's decision is you mm-hmm. know and by the way just so you know just because i say pro's decision it does it's not just me i mean it's all the bosses <laughs> behind me so it's not oh greg barkey thinks it well <laughs> yes i think that but also i might have been persuaded <laughs> by my bosses or all three of us we vote sometimes we vote on it we say look at we just have to vote on this which is gonna be the right you know because you get these situations that are in that gray yeah. area and you know and so uh, they'll say look at we're we're supporting this is uh, not supporting yeah so absolutely. i have to kind of change my copy around and a little bit um it's funny. It does take me many takes. So just so you think I just do it in one take, it, it doesn't, you know, so it's, it, well, you make it look, you make it look seamless. Greg. Well, you make it the, look the magic uh, of editing, man. The magic of editing. <laughs> it's such a great tool. Like just to be able to communicate with people and, it, it gives that acceptance of VAR because, you know, it's like so much of refereeing. People, once they understand a decision or understand what a person's done, they might go, okay, I disagree, yeah. but thank you for explaining it. And we see it so much on on the pitch. Frustration comes from people not understanding. Um, uh, also, I think, I think people but, don't understand sometimes why is it taking so long to confirm a goal, for example? Because they yeah. watched it and only saw the final product. They saw the guy kick the ball into the goal with a beautiful volley. But they didn't yeah. see that in yeah. the buildup, there might have been two possible offside situations that we need to take a quick look at before he kicks it in. And so having this tool lets us show, look, at the VAR took 45 seconds because there was three close offside decisions before we got to the shot. And so he had to check all three of those. And then there was a guy yeah. standing next to the goalkeeper yeah. who might have been offside. So we looked at that too. So it also just lets us know, look at guys, we're not just looking at the final product. We're looking at the buildup, et cetera. Yeah. And I think it, it educates our fans at least. And I think in the end, they are more accepting of when you make an error. 
Oh yeah, because, yeah, definitely. And, you know, we do admit errors on inside video review and Barafondo. We, you know, sometimes it happens. Either the VOR, the referee happens. Sometimes we can explain why it could be just the referee thought that this consideration was more important and the VAR thought this one was that happens. Two people come together. And I mean, if you've gone to a referee meeting and you talked about a clip, Oh, could you imagine if that's <laughs> how we decided VAR? We did, we did a referee meeting before <laughs> a decision for a penalty kick. It would last forever. Yeah. Three, three hours later. Yeah, in Australia, I'm sure your referee meetings are like ours. Where you get in there to show one clip, and it takes 20 minutes to come to a decision, and then still half the group is going, ah, come on. I think uh, it's like so, that everywhere yeah, in the world, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so we have one guy who's going to say, I think it's a penalty kick, and then sometimes the referee will say, no, I don't. And then in the end, one of the two is going to be right or wrong. So we, we try yeah. to avoid that yes. middle part. And so we'll admit, and I think actually admitting errors on inside video review um, gives us more power to show the correct ones all the time. Yeah, definitely, because it gives you authority to say, "Hey, when we we got this one right, right, it's hey, we're not we don't say we get everyone right. It's, we admit when we're wrong, but we got right. this sometimes, one right." Sometimes, I mean, we have to wait because a disciplinary disciplinary committee might be involved, and so uh, we yeah, can't broadcast a decision until they make a decision. So internally, we may have made a decision, but because of the way you know leagues work, you know, I mean, yeah. You know, referee reports are legal documents, et cetera. You know, so all that stuff kind of plays in sometimes why, and even sometimes why we don't necessarily in the end even mention it. We just kind of gloss over it, like what happened that game. Well, we really couldn't speak about it because there was other issues going on about it. Um, very rarely does that happen, though. But sometimes it's not interesting. <laughs> I, mean, <No. laughs> I mean, if I did every one of them, it'd be like, wow, what a boring you know, inside video review. You guys would stop watching, you know. No, so. we, we, Craig, they, they would never happen, trust me. Uh, but I think it's really important because, you know, we always, we, we quite often talk about it, you know, being vulnerable and admitting that we're not perfect and we make mistakes really empowers not just us as referees, but everyone to really be honest and open and build better relationships. And we've spoken to a couple of uh, sport, um sorry, a couple of uh, psychologists on the podcast and they brought said, you know, one of the biggest problems right now with football is that referees are seen as an outside agent. So there's teams, there's players, there's coaches, there's owners, but referees are needed, but no one wants them. And being that transparent, being that honest, admitting that we make mistakes and explaining why and explaining why we also got get a lot of things right, that's totally the right direction to go in order to you know, reduce referee abuse and making making the referees more part of the footballing world. You know, you've given us great a lot of information. We've taken a lot of your time. So before we let you go, one last question. Where do you think VAR is going and what do you think VAR's future is in football? Well, for sure, it's not going anywhere. It's going to be part of, of football for the future. And who can argue with the fact that we do take errors off the field? Now, even in MLS, every now and then we have where VAR gets involved when they shouldn't have and they change the decision. That to us is our nightmare where there's a, a red card given, the VAR comes and says, that's not a red card, and the referee changes it, and it is a red card. Those are our nightmare situations, but they also happen very rarely. So in other words, you're, that's, that's the part you don't want, Right. But there's so much more. When you're taking 80, 90, I don't, in, in your league, if you look at your data, I'm sure you're taking 100 errors off the field every season that would have happened that people would have had to accept 
because the game is over, that you get corrected. And even you guys, in your matches, what you have with VAR, let's say you've given a penalty kick, and you know the players, come on, go check it, it's not a penalty kick, go check it, and they give you a little hand signal to go do a monitor. When you go to the monitor and come back, and you either keep decision or not, a lot of them are done. They're, they move on with the game. And that's becoming more and more common. We've actually noticed in our data that the game is restarting quicker now yeah. after penalty kicks with VAR. Because the players know, I've looked at the monitor, it's over with, go on. Or the VARs come on and say, check complete. They go, okay, it's done. We're down with the game. Versus in the old days, continuing to argue to hopefully sway the referee. So there's good about it. And the only thing I'm afraid of, I hope doesn't happen, is that we don't have this, what I call, you know, the replay creep. Where they start saying, okay, let's look at this. Let's look at that. Because we could look at so much more. We could look at every yellow card. But Mm. I tell you what. Even our best VARs could look at a yellow card, all the yellow cards, and not interrupt the game. It just won't happen. We have guys that can be very fast, very decisive, and those are the best VARs, right? Yeah. But they will not be able to look at every yellow card and say, yeah, that's wrong, that's right. Every, when, when you have an average, about, about four yellow cards a game. I think in your league, it's probably right around there somewhere, three and a half or so per game yellow cards. You have to look at every one of those. And then you have to look at all the ones that could have been that weren't. You'd be looking at so many, every out-of-bound touch, oh, could you imagine all the stoppage? And people would hate VAR. So people are going to get used to it as long as we stick to the protocol, we stick to the procedures, and we and we keep it efficient. You know, so I, I think that's really the key for it. I think all the leagues in the world, there's a lot more leagues coming into the league. They're looking at Australia. They're looking at us. They're looking at Germany, Italy, the, the places that have started with it, and saying, how do they do it and get it done quickly and without bothering the game? And once we get that down, of course, with FIFA and I-5 ball too, people accept it more. And as you see, it as part of the game. They know a goal is scored. No, the possible offside. They know it's going to be looked at. They're moving on. And if it comes yeah. back and it's offside, okay, we're accepting it and we're going to move on. And that's what's going to help the game. Otherwise, you're just going to argue about it all day. Oh, he was offside, offside or PK or no PK. But at least now we went through it and we made our decision yeah. and it got looked at again. And the referees, you know, been proven right or, you know, made an error and it was fixed. So that's not going to go away, especially with money and football and how much we have, you know, that people want those decisions. And when you when the majority of your, your errors are being taken out of the field, you, you can't change that just because you might miss one or two. But the thing is, remember, you would have missed those one or two even before VAR. So it's not like these are new ones that yeah. came out of nowhere. Yeah. These would have been there anyways. So you're not really changing the game. You just There's a few that you should have gotten to that you never got to. But they're not new. It's like they didn't manufacture themselves because VAR showed up. Yeah. So that's what we, you know. Those are the ones that are dangerous when the VAR gets involved when it should. That's if that was happening very often, I would say let's get rid of VAR. But it's but not. That, that is such a rarity. Yeah. Greg, this has been absolutely fascinating. Learning about the journey VAR went on and seeing for me how that compared to what we went through in the A League was. That was really, really cool. You know, you guys are world leaders at what you're doing. So to hear what you've done, why you're doing what you're doing, and then sort of where we think it's going in the future was was really good. So thank you so much for your time. And hopefully everyone who's listening has become a lot more educated on on VAR and will go watch your, your YouTube videos. Every Excellent. Week. No, I appreciate it. Hopefully I'll get to Australia. It's one of the places I haven't been to yet that I really want to go to. And we can meet up, we can have, go to a pub or something, and we can talk more and more about VAR and anything else you want to. Um, my son-in-law is Australian, so I have, I have every reason to go there. Fantastic. So. Maybe Women's World Cup 2023, if, if, if we can get COVID under control by then and travel's allowed, maybe 
come for that. <laughs> yeah, by then it will be. I, I, I keep a positive attitude. We will be back to where we were soon. Everybody should stay safe, but also keep a positive attitude. I know having to do this like this from, you know, you're in Australia, I'm in the U.S. and we can't do it in person. Um, I'm looking forward to the in-person time. I think everybody is, and we're going to get there. I'm, I'm positive. I'm trying to keep a positive attitude towards that. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's the right attitude. So best of luck for, for the season when it commences in a, in a couple of months, and we, we look forward to the video reviews returning. So thanks again, Greg. Yeah, excellent. Thank you very much. Gracias, Gregorio. <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, hit the subscribe button. For more referee education, join our Facebook group and become a RefCoach member for free at refcoach.org. If you like the work we do, you can support us by purchasing a RefCoach whistle to show that you are part of the RefCoach community when you're out on the pitch.